Man, it is uh, great to see you. I mean, wow, here we are, the slowest week in the life of every child, right? Yeah, you remember being a child, and this, like, this week, like, is just, it, it seems like it takes forever to get from, like, now till Christmas if you're a kid. Um, so, uh, just, just like a poll this morning, how many of you are done shopping? Raise your hands if you're done shopping. Wow, look at you guys, yeah, good job, good job. How many of you have not started shopping? Let me see, let me see, there's some of you. Yeah, there's a few of you, all right, grace be with you. Um, yeah, good luck in that mall parking lot or wherever, um, or good luck getting that Amazon delivery on time, right? So crazy. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> it's always nice to know who you're talking to. Well, I'm thrilled that wherever you are this morning, whether you're here in the room, whether you're with us online, we're grateful that you're taking some time to be with us this morning. Um, We're we're in week four um, of our Advent series that we're calling The Gift of Christmas. Advent is a word that is used to describe the the four weeks leading up until Christmas. It's all about the arrival. That's really what Advent means. It means like to the coming or the arrival. And and so Jesus is preparing to arrive. Um, You know, he arrived back then in Bethlehem and he arrives today in our hearts. And and our goal is to help all of us, like I think Devin mentioned earlier. Our goal is to help all of us not be just overwhelmed by the commercialism or get steamrolled by the rush uh, of the season, but to encounter the Savior, the one who came. And this year we've been taking time to focus on the gifts that Jesus brings when he came at Christmas and how they will bless our lives if we will take them, receive them, and open them. And and so in week one we looked at the gift of God's presence. That that Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us, that Jesus came to be with us. And and he's with us, and he's with us now. His presence can give us strength and hope. And God wants to be present with us and he wants us to be present with him. And that's why we've designed all these things during the Christmas season so that we can take some time and be present with him. We can focus on him, we can think about him. And I pray you're doing that more than just here on Sunday mornings. And then week two, we looked at the gift of peace. How many of you really need peace right now for this next week? Yeah, you need a little bit of peace in the Christmas season so that we can experience. Isn't that kind of just what we want? I mean, don't we all long for like those moments where you're maybe just sitting in a chair next to the fire and you're just like, you know, enjoying soaking it all in or just reading scripture and and thinking about what God has done for us and just taking moments to like, just breathe it in, right? Everybody take a deep breath. Yeah, just breathe it in. We, we want to breathe in Christmas. And we want to breathe in God's peace. And, and we, what we talked about was that once we have peace with God through his forgiveness of our sins, through a relationship with him, then we can have peace in ourselves. There's so many things out there in the world trying to get us to have self-help, right? To, to like have inner peace. The only real way is to have Jesus because he is our peace. And once we have Jesus, then we will have peace inside and we can have peace with others. To try to like force peace with others without the peace of Jesus in our lives is just to force it. <laughs> and it won't be real. And so we need the peace of Jesus in our lives. And then last week we looked at the gift of God's power, 
the power that took the Almighty and brought him from heaven to earth, that got the creator and made him into a human being. And as the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. And so we said last week, bring your impossible to the stable. Bring your impossible to Bethlehem. Bring your impossible and lay it before the feet of Jesus because he specializes in making the impossible possible. And I hope you've been taking time to think about ways that you can open up these gifts in your life and, and to respond to our Heavenly Father uh, using these gifts. Um, I hope you, you've been talking um, at home in your life groups with the people around you about these gifts of presence, peace, and power, and how they can shape your life and even shape your home. And I hope that you've been engaging with us. I forgot to bring this up. Um, I hope you've been engaging with us with, the, with this little kind of crazy fun box here that we have. Um, if you don't have one already, grab one of these bags that's out there uh, in the foyer, and, and you're going to need one of these to join us on Christmas morning. Um, so I just wanted to let you know. So um, super exciting. Um, you know, it's just a little fun thing that, that we've tried to put together to help us focus. And each week, you've been taking one of these little um, wooden pieces. And so this is for you. If maybe you're, you're here, this is the first time you're here, or maybe, you know, you've... Um, You've been missing a few weeks or something, um, but today we're going to talk about the promise, and the whole idea is that each week you take one of these out, and then you write on it something that you can do so that you, to help you open the gift of promise, to experience promise, to think about how you're going to live out the promise of God, and then you stick it in the box, right? And then Christmas Sunday morning, rather than having a traditional service here on campus, um, we, we put together, our, our, our uh, staff has been putting together a, uh, we're, I'm just calling it Christmas special, um, so, and, and just to kind of put a little bit of your expectations at ease, um, we, we just said we wanted to make it really fun because we realized there's some families that will be watching that have little kids, and um, you know, we don't want them to have to like yell at the kids, like, sit down and watch this, right? We want it to be something that the whole family could sit around and watch. Whether you're, whether you're you know, somewhere else traveling or you're by yourself somewhere, you, everyone can watch this. It'll be online, and it'll be super fun, but you're going to want to have your box with you. So even if you're traveling, just, you know, take your bag, take your box with you, and, and you'll, we'll all open them up together on Christmas Sunday morning. Is everybody understanding that? That all makes sense? So if you don't have one yet, please grab one of those today and participate with us. You can just go to our website, and you'll be able to, like, you know, find the link really easy. You'll be able to watch it right there from the website, and it'll be super fun on Christmas morning. And you can just relax on Christmas morning with your family and watch, and we're going to talk about the Christmas story. We'll have some singing, lots of fun stuff, and it's a little crazy, too, so um, just, uh, just know that it'll be fun. Um, and, uh, and speaking of promise, um, that, that's the gift that we want to open up this morning, We've talked about his presence, we've talked about his peace and his power, and this morning we want to talk about opening the gift of God's promise. So we all make promises, right? And we've all broken a few. How many of you have broken a promise before? Come on, I think this has got to be all of us. Like, remember, let's just all play along, right? The, and, and like everything else, the reason we do this, the reason we raise our hands and stuff is because we want to recognize we are all in this together. Every single one of us is in desperate need of a Savior, right? Every single one of us. We've all made promises. We've all broken them. How many of you have experienced disappointment because of an unkept promise? 
Yeah? I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, like it, during a during, you know, a crazy soccer game or something like, oh, and can we hear it for Argentina World Cup this morning? Okay, so we don't have a lot of Argentina fans, but come on, they beat France. I mean, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful thing. So anyways, but, um, you know, in the, in the heat of a soccer game, it's like, okay, you score a goal, I'll get you a Slurpee, right? And then, and then we get home and we forgot to stop by 7-Eleven and the kids are looking at you and like, you promised, right? I mean, little promises all the time that we kind of break, you know, and then kids get disappointed. But, but many of us have known bigger promises that have gone unkept too. I mean, all of us know what it's like to have politicians make promises in an attempt to get elected and then fail to deliver, right? And, and, and just, but hey, we don't keep our promises either. So, right? So the reality is, is like, just don't point at them. We, we're bad at keeping promises as well. Many here this morning know what it's like to have someone promise until death do us part, and then they parted ways. We, we've all been promised faithfulness, promotions, deadlines, raises, solutions, results, even love, and those promises have come up empty. We all know what it feels like to have a promise be broken to us. But you see, the big story of Christmas is that God, our heavenly Father, the creator of all things, that God is a promise-keeping God, that our God always keeps his promises. Is that good news this morning, church? Amen? That is the big story of Christmas. I know you thought it was the birth of the baby, and it is, but it's bigger than just the birth of a baby. That baby's birth represents a promise that God had made that was kept. No event in human history has been promised more than the coming of Jesus, our Savior. As I researched this over the last couple of weeks, Bible scholars, there's some, most of them agree that there's somewhere around 300 or so promises throughout like the Old Testament and stuff that, that are promising the coming of the Messiah. Some had as many as 700, and I'm like, man, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, I know there's some that just say Jesus is just saturated in every verse in the Old Testament, but there's a lot of promises, at least 300. And, and I, I was looking at this quote in a book called um, Science Speaks, from a guy named Peter Stoner and Robert Newman. And they discussed the statistical probability that one man, whether accidentally or deliberately, was, would be able to fulfill just eight of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Okay, because these prophecies were made up to like 2,000 years before it, the event even happened. And, and, and Robert Stoner says this, he says, the chance of this happening is one in 10 to the 17th power. So it's like 10 and then 17 zeros, right? I don't even know what you call that, right? It's past bazillion or quads, I don't, we'll make something up, right? It's just a lot. And, and he says that, that he presents this scenario to illustrate how, the magnitude of those kinds of odds. And he says this, suppose that you take 10 to the 17th power of silver dollars, and you lay them all on the face of the state of Texas. They would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Yeah. Now, now listen to this. This, is, this will blow your mind. Now, 
you mark one of these silver dollars in that whole group somewhere, and you stir the whole mass thoroughly over the whole state, then you blindfold a man and tell him he can travel as far as he wants to, but he has to pick up one silver dollar and make sure it's the right one. That would be the odds that Jesus would fulfill just eight of these prophecies. And yet Jesus fulfills all of them. There's at least 47 that that I identified and found scriptures for. And so the probability, so this is incredible evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. And and from the moment that sin entered the world, right? Remember when Adam and Eve bit that fruit? From the moment that sin entered the world, God has been at work to restore our broken relationship with him. We see God at work to fix what was broken and to restore this relationship. He starts out in Genesis chapter three, as soon as man sins, as soon as that apple's got a bite, and we don't know if it was an apple, I think it was a fig, I don't know why, we can talk about that later, but. But as soon as sin entered the world, God comes and and, and he tells the devil this, right, the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers And he, being her offspring, will crush your head and you will strike at his heel. And from that very beginning, scholars look at that and say that that was like one of the first of the foreshadowings of the Messiah to come, one that would come and crush the head of sin. And, And in Genesis chapter 12, God begins this process of making it so that his son, Jesus, that baby born in a manger, could come to earth in a way that we could start to all understand what he was here to do. And you have to understand that the whole Old Testament is the setup for what happens at Christmas. I mean, the entire Old Testament is saying, hey, one is coming who is gonna fix all that has gone wrong. And so what happens is through the Old Testament is there's all these promises that say, hey, the Christ is going to come. And he starts with one guy. In Genesis chapter 12, 2,000 years, okay, 2,000 years before Christ, when God decides to get this um, process in motion, he picks one man, Abraham. And this guy, Abraham, at the time that God chooses him, he's 75 years old. So for those in the room who are a little older in years, right, those of you who are a little more vintage than others, is that the right word to use, right? Okay, good, I don't wanna get in trouble this morning, okay? Just remember, God waited till he was 75 to pick Abraham. I mean, at 75, Abraham's whole thing with the Lord just got started. And so don't think that once you hit 75, it's time to just kick back and rest. No, you're 75, it's time to get going. Amen? Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. Can I get an amen from those of you who are 75 or older? (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah. Well, (laughs) now he's 75 years old, right? And he's living with his tribe and he's living with his wife. They have no children yet. And God picks Abraham precisely, not because of who Abraham is, but because of who Abraham is not. He chooses Abraham not because of what Abraham has available to him, but he chooses Abraham because of what Abraham does not have. He has no family. He's 75 years old. His wife Sarah is like 65 years old. 
And God comes to them and makes some incredible promises to Abraham. I mean, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, God says this to Abraham. First, he says, Abraham, says, Abraham here's what we're going to do. You need to leave your family. Now, that's a huge thing you need to understand because, like, in that day and time, the family, being around the family unit, that was your source of protection. To be out wandering in the world was a harsh place where, where other tribes and other people would just kill you, basically, or take advantage of you or, or, or enslave you. And so he says, I want you to leave your family, and then he says, go to the place that I'm going to show you. He doesn't tell him where. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? Put this address in your search engine, in your Waze app, and then you'll know where you're going. No, he actually just says, Abraham, just go, and I'll show you when you get there. Just start walking, Abraham. I mean, how many of you would have like five million questions at that moment, right? Like, okay, God, I hear you, but where? Okay, God, I hear you, but what should I take? Oh, I hear you, but how many bags can my wife bring? Oh, I hear you, right? But like, you know, you, you'd have all these questions. But Abraham, it says he trusted God and he just started walking. He packs up everything and he just starts going. And it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was right because he trusted God. But here, listen to the promises. Right after that, this is what God says. He says, if you trust me, if you go where I tell you to go, these are the promises. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I mean, think about that. He, he's 75 years old. His wife is 65. Pack your bags and go and I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, but for how long? I mean, I've got maybe 25 years left if I'm lucky, right? Like, what, like what, what's going to happen here, God? I mean, we have no children. How, I mean, the, how do we have a nation with no descendants? How is this going to work, God, right? And, and God says, no, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, those of us sitting on this side of things, we know that God kept that promise, right? Because the nation of Israel, has it become a nation, does it become a great nation in the world? Yeah, absolutely. And then he goes on and he says, I will make your name great. God followed through on that one, right? How many of you had heard of Abraham before you stepped in this building this morning? Yeah, guy's pretty famous, right? I mean, uh, three of the major religions of the world all trace their lineage back to Abraham. I mean, this, guy, this guy's pretty famous. And he says, and you will be a blessing. Then, then listen to this last promise. This is the biggie. This is, this is the big one, okay? Those other two were like for Abraham, but this one he says, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. I mean, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That, my friends, is a huge promise. Could you imagine God coming to you and telling you that this morning? All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. My, my prayer all the time is that all the peoples of the Conejo Valley will be blessed because of us. That all the people on my street will be blessed because I live there. And all the people on your street will be blessed because you live there. And all the people at Albertsons will be blessed when you go shopping. 
You see, that's the kind of God we serve. He wants to bless others through you. We say this all the time. We've been blessed to be a? Absolutely. And this is where this starts. This is where that whole concept starts is God says, I'm going to bless you. And then he says, and all the nations of the earth, the whole world is going to be blessed through you. And what we recognize later is that that is a direct promise from God that the Messiah would come through the line of Abraham. But 13 years later, I mean, think about this, 13 years later, there's a problem. Abraham still has no son. God made the promise, but still no kid. And, and so Abraham's like starting to wonder, and Sarah is really starting to wonder. And, and, and then in, in chapter 15, God reiterates the promise again. He says this, it says, after this, the Lord um, came to Abraham in a vision, and he said, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who's going to inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is from your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look into the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I mean, think about that. He's 88 years old. And God says, you're, you're going to have so many kids you can't even, you're going to be like the stars in the sky. And so Sarah, he goes back and tells Sarah, man, God says we're going to have an own child from, from my own body. And Sarah Sarah starts thinking like, well, maybe we should help God out, right? Like maybe, maybe God isn't sure what he's doing here. And, and then she says, so, so it's not working. So he, she goes out and she gets one of her maidservants and brings her maidservant to Abraham. And he, she, he says to Abraham, so this is my maidservant. You sleep with her and have a child through her and maybe this is how we're gonna help God out. And Abraham is dumb enough to say yes. Right? I, I mean, what kind of craziness is that? It, but that's what happens, and a son is born. Ishmael. Wrong kid. Right? And the reason why he's the wrong kid is because God didn't need your help for the promise to happen. God's got things well under control. The moment that you start to think you've gotta help God out, okay, th then you, you just gotta wipe that idea clean, right? Because God is gonna do it the way God is going to do it. And, and so, um, so before we get all judgy on Sarah, right? Because it's really easy to look at Sarah and go, man, what was she thinking? I mean, let's just admit for just a moment that maybe if we were Sarah, we'd kind of be a lot like her. Because think about this. 
When, when, when we're dealing with, with something that God makes a promise to us about, right, we're reading our Bibles, we see a promise, we're like, oh, that's for me or whatever. Or, or, or maybe we pray about something, right, that we're asking God for, and we're like, God, you know, I see this in your word, Lord, I wanna receive this promise from you, and then we pray about it, and then a few days go by, and, and you start going, hmm, so when is God gonna take care of this promise thing, right? You, you gotta imagine, Sarah goes to, Abraham goes back to Sarah and says, hey, this is what God says, and Sarah's like, well, how long, how long do we have to wait? For us, you know, a few weeks go by and, and, and we're like, are, are, are we there yet, God? I mean, maybe, maybe God, you didn't understand my urgency. And, and then months go by and then we start thinking, well, maybe we didn't hear that correctly. And then a few years go by and we doubt that God is gonna come through. A few decades go by, and we start forgetting there was even a conversation. A few centuries go by, and the kids have no idea that was even a thing. And a few millennia go by, and no one remembers what God said, and people start to even doubt that God exists. We aren't that much different than Sarah, are we? But... 12 years later, after God makes that, reiterates that promise in, in uh, Genesis 15, 25 years after the initial promise, Isaac is born. And God promises a savior will come through Isaac. 25 years, Abraham waited. 25 years, Sarah waited but God came through. Then a, a thousand years, a thousand years later, um, then God makes a promise to King David. Okay, a thousand years later, yeah, af after the line goes through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and, and so then there's this line of people that are, that are marching towards the Messiah, and a thousand years later, King David is promised the same thing. A thousand years later in 2 Samuel, God tells Abraham, hey, the throne, I will establish your throne forever. And he guarantees that David, to David that the Messiah will come through his descendants. A thousand years. Not only a thousand years before, after Abraham, but a thousand years before Christ. Then 700 years before Jesus, God sends another reminder through the prophet Isaiah. When he says this in Isaiah 7:14, he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. And what's Emmanuel mean? Yeah. It, Isaiah, again, he quotes this famous passage that we quote so often at Christmas. He says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And then, 500 years before Christ, the prophet Micah is given another reminder. In Micah chapter 5, uh, verse 2, it says, but you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient of times. 
God continues to prophesy that, hey, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah, the promised one, is coming. But then, at the end of the Old Testament, there's 400 years of silence. And people always ask, like, what was that all about? 400 years. And, and, and I just, you know, my mind kind of starts to run with that. And I just think, wow, 400 years of just silence. I mean, this is like, I mean, think about how long we've even been a nation, right? 400 years of silence. And I thought, well, hey, if, if 1,000 years is like a day to God, then 400 years is just a few moments. And I'm thinking, you know, right before God sends his son into the world, don't you think he would pause for just a moment? And I think in this divine pause, God is setting everything up. And 400 years after that silence, an angel comes to a girl in Nazareth. 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, the world waited. 2,000 years since that first promise to Abraham, the world has been waiting for the answer. But most got tired of waiting. Most got tired of waiting. They just went on with their lives or created a new path without God. Yet, on a hill just outside of Bethlehem, 2,000 years after that initial promise, the heavens opened up and the angels proclaimed, today, after 2,000 years, today, 28 generations later, today, the angel said, in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Folks, the story of Christmas screams that no matter how long it takes, our God keeps his promises. That even 2,000 years later, he keeps his promises. Now to us, that sounds like an eternity, right? To us, it's like 2,000 years, but to God, that's just a couple days. But 2,000 years, I mean, that, that's crazy, but Galatians chapter four, verse four, it says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. And, and I pondered that for a while this week. I mean, when the set time, I mean, who sets the time? Who sets time in motion in the beginning anyways? God does. Folks, we gotta realize we're on his timeline. He's not on yours. The, the, the thing that you could do to give your life and yourself the most peace is to understand that basic fact. That you're on God's timeline, he's not on yours. And that he will do what he says he's going to do and he'll do it at the set time. He'll do it when the time is right, he'll do it when everything comes together the way he wants it to be because he wants it to be just right. And he wants the best for you. He wanted the best for the world. And that's why he set a time. He has a plan. He's working it out. And even when it feels like things are taking way too long, even when it feels like time is running out, even when it feels like everyone else around you is doubting that God even exists, our God is always at work, working everything out for your good and for his glory. 
and his promises will be fulfilled. Do you believe that, church? On Christmas, God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Isaiah, Micah, the whole world was fulfilled. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born. And Jesus came to deliver on that promise and make some new ones. So not only did he fulfill the promise of his arrival, but Jesus fulfilled, gave us new promises. And so there's promises to all of those who believe. And we want to take just a minute this morning and realize, like, so Jesus not only was the fulfillment of the promise, but he comes to bring more promises. So if you look back to the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 21, this will be familiar for many of you who've heard the Christmas story before. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, folks, the good news, this is great news for any of us who have ever messed up. Anybody ever mess up? Anybody ever sin? All you gotta do is drive the 101 for a little ways or go to the mall parking lot. You'll sin, right? Think about all those things you thought about all those other drivers, right? I know, I'm there, I'm with you. Right? But this is great news for any of us that have ever really messed it up. I mean, there's some of you this morning, you, you're, you're sitting here this morning going, like, I have messed it up so bad that I just don't know that God can fix it. Yes, he can. Why? Because Jesus came to save his people from their sin. He, he came to cancel out the debt of our sin and, and to restore our relationship with God who can make everything the way God wants it to be, not the way you're trying to make it be. And, and so he says, look, he came to save us from our sins. I love this story in Mark chapter two. Um, in Mark chapter two, after Jesus grows, he starts his ministry, and he's going around, and he's healing people. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I remember from when I was a kid in Sunday school. Um, and, and it's a story of Jesus who heals this man who's a paralytic. And, and so Jesus is teaching, and he's in a house, and the place is totally crowded. And it's so crowded, the house is so packed that the people, there's guys, this guy's friends are carrying him on a mat, right? They're, they've got like a, like picture a blanket and the guys have four corners of the blanket. They're carrying their friend to get him to Jesus so that he can be healed because all these other people who are coming to Jesus are walking away healed. And they're like, our friend needs to get to Jesus. In sidelight, you all have friends that need to get to Jesus, Right? So they carry their friend. They've each got a corner of the blanket. They're carrying him in, but the house is too crowded, and they can't maneuver their way in. They're like, how are we going to get our friend to Jesus? And so these guys, I love these guys. These are like my people. They climb on the roof, and they dig a hole in the roof. 
And, and they lower this guy. Like, imagine you're like in this house and you hear all this scraping and craziness going on. And then all of a sudden, little bits of like dirt and straw and stuff start falling through the ceiling. And you're like, what in the world is going on up there? And then next thing you know, there's like, boom, a hole, and then there's some sunlight coming through, and then you see some guy peeking through the hole. You're like, what's going on? And then they dig it big enough to set a guy in a blanket through this hole. And think about that if you're the homeowner. You're like, man, you know, you're like, I wonder if my insurance covers that. Like, people digging holes in my roof. I don't know what's going on. And, they, and they, they bring him in, and they put this guy down through the hole. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. These guys were so sure. They were so convinced that Jesus could heal their friend that they ripped a hole in a guy's house. They lower him down. And Jesus looks at the man. And I love this part. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. Go, go home and read Mark 2. It's great. I love this story. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, right, he said to the paralyzed men, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, now I want you to just let this sit for just a moment. Son, your sins have been forgiven. And if I'm one of the guys on one of the four corners of the mat, of the blanket, I'm like, well, now what do we do? Like, do we pull him back up? Like, we, we brought him here so that he could walk. We, we brought him here so that he could be healed. But what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. And they're like, well, that's not what we came for. And then the crazy Pharisee guys in the room, they're like, whoa, like, whoa, wait a minute. We're all down with the healing people? That's really good. That's like a cool thing. But this whole forgiving people of their sins, who in the world do you think you are, is what they say. No one can forgive sins except God alone. Bing! For some, the light goes on. And it's like, oh my gosh. But I'm still sitting here thinking in that moment, these guys with the bed thing, they're like, uh, like, I mean, maybe they already let go of the blanket, and now they're like, oh, man, now we're going to have to climb down there and get the guy. Like, what are we going to do? And the people are like, Jesus, you can't do that. You know, you're, only God can forgive sins. And so, Jesus, I love Jesus' line. Jesus looks at him and goes, oh, that, yeah, okay. He says, but just so that you know that the Son of Man has the power and authority to forgive sin, he looks down at the guy and goes, hey, stand up, pick up your mat, and, and go home. And the guy stands up, grabs his mat, and runs outside, right? And him and his buddies, can you imagine the stories that they told that night? But what did Jesus see as the most important thing? To forgive that man of his sins. There's some of you this morning that showed up this morning. There's some of you, you showed, all of you showed up maybe for different reasons. Some, some showed up because this is what you do on Sunday morning. 
Some of you showed up this morning because somebody drug you. Some of you showed up this morning because you were hoping that maybe there was a piece of your life that you would find healing for. And you could have showed up for all different reasons, but let me tell you why Jesus wanted to meet every single one of you here this morning. It was so that you could know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that your sins, no matter how many, how bad, however they are, that your sins, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, can be forgiven. You may be like this guy came for one thing, but I'm praying you leave with a different thing. That you leave understanding that you are completely forgiven. And that you will let go of the dirty thing you came in on and that you will walk out clean and forgiven. Because that is the promise of Jesus, that he came to forgive us of our sins. And the rest of it, all the healing and all that, yeah, that's the icing on the cake. And he still does that too. But it's just there to demonstrate that he has the power to forgive us. There's so many other things that Jesus promises us. So many incredible promises are there for those who put their faith in Jesus. I, I mean, the, the second thing that, that we see right away is he promises that he will always be with us. He, he promises he will always be with us. In Matthew chapter one, verse 22, the rest of that Christmas story says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us that he would be with us. And, and then Hebrews 3, 15 reminds us that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will never leave you. He is there for you always. He is the one, the only one, that can completely fulfill that promise that he will always be with you. I mean, think about that for a minute. You have lots of people, maybe you have, you know, uh, uh, parents, a spouse, children, friends, all these people who you think are gonna be part of your life forever. But some of us in this room know all too well that that may not happen. I mean, I dread the idea of my spouse passing before me. I dread the idea of me passing before her too. But some of you in the room know exactly what that feels like. And even that person you thought was gonna spend the rest of your life with you, that's no guarantee. We've all lost people that we love. We've had friends that have walked away. I mean, my goodness, I've talked to people over the last couple of years, everybody seems to have lost a friend through all the insanity. And people that you thought were gonna walk with you forever and now they're not? Jesus is the only one who guarantees that he will be with you always. 
There's no one else that's gonna step with you from this life into the next one. Only Jesus can. We've all had people who have broken promises, broken relationships, even death has separated us, and they're no longer with us. No one else except Jesus can guarantee the promise he will always be with you. So make sure today that you're with him so that he will be with you then because you want to hold on to that promise. In in Psalm 23, David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with us. And there's other promises. Jesus makes so many other promises to us. He promises to hear our prayers and answer them. Do you know that God, God hears every prayer you pray? And do you know this? I just, I, because some of you are doubting this right now, I want you to know God will answer every prayer that you pray. The problem some of you are having is that he's not answering the way you want. He's always going to answer I always used to say, you know, God, God, God would say either yes, okay, and then you're happy, no, and then you're upset, or not now, and then you're confused, right? And then you start doubting either way, right? But the reality is, is Jesus will always answer your prayers. Then he, will all, he promises in Scripture to always provide for your needs, and some of you don't feel that right now, but I, I'll tell you what, after talking to lots of people, even people in this room right now, they have been absolutely blown away when at the last moment God provided everything they needed. How many of you in this room have had a situation where, man, you did not know how it was gonna work out, you did not know where it was gonna come from, you did not know anything, and then all of a sudden, God provided in ways you never thought were possible. How many of you have seen the Lord provide? Yes. Amen? Yes. He follows through on his promises. Not always in the timeline you have, but in the time and the way he wants, he will always follow through on his promises. He promises to give us his Holy Spirit, his presence living in us, the power that, that raised Jesus from the dead is live and active inside of us. If we will only tap into it, that is his promise, and he reminds us that he, Christmas reminds us he always keeps his promises. And lastly, one of the biggest promises is this, the promise that he has to return. You know, the first advent was all about those four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's about us waiting for the arrival of the birth of Jesus. But folks, you and I, we live in the second advent because we're waiting for Jesus to return. The first time we're waiting for him to save us and the first, next time we're banking on the fact that he's gonna take us. And in John chapter 14, verse 13, listen to the words of Jesus. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm gonna read that again for those in the room who really need it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus says. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. 
Jesus promises to return. I, I, 2 Peter chapter 3, 9, I always love this verse. It says, the Lord is not slow. I know you don't believe it. <laughs> but the Bible says it. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. I, I, I think he put that in there for all of us because he knew we were going to think God was being slow. He says, God is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, that would be you and me. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's timeline is for your benefit. Not because he's sitting there going, let's see how long they wait. Have you ever seen those crazy tests where they like bring the kids in the room and then they, they, they put them all in there? I love these things. It's on, on like delayed gratification. And they, they put the kids in there and they put them at a table and then they put like marshmallows in front of them, right? And they say, now don't eat the marshmallow. I'm like, how cruel and unusual is that? But then they say, if you don't eat the marshmallow, then you're gonna get a better thing later, right? And, and I love it, go, go look it up, like, you know, like testing kids' um, delayed gratification, they're hilarious. And, and you, you'll see some of these kids, and, and there's these little boys that immediately, and they just done. Like, I ain't messing around with this, I'm just like, no, I'm taking what I got, right? Get it while, get while the getting's good, right? I'm just gonna take the marshmallow and go. And then I love, there's this one where there's this little girl and she's doing this number. Oops, sorry. She's doing this thing, like looking and staring at the marshmallow. And, and the whole time I'm watching going, don't look at the marshmallow. Right? And then she turns around in the chair. She's like, not looking at it, not looking at it. And then she turns around, she's, you know, and she's doing this number, right? God's not, God's not like, waiting to put you through misery. God is waiting to grow something in you. And God is waiting for the perfect time when the answer is just right so that you get the maximum blessing out of his answer. That's why he's waiting. And he's waiting, why it says here, so that he does, because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants us to deal with our stuff in the meantime because he knows he's gonna get the answer to us. So his delay is for your good. We just have to get that through our thick skulls because folks, after 2,000 years of promise, 2,000 years we waited for the birth of Jesus after 2,000 years, Jesus came the first time. And you know what? It's been about 2,000 years since Jesus made the promise to return, to come again. And I sure hope it's soon. I don't know about you. But I love 2 Corinthians 1.20 that says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. No matter what promises God has made, they are all yes in Jesus. See, the story of Christmas, folks, is that Christmas reminds us that our God promises and he keeps his promises. And he always does what he says he will do. And he will come for us.
The question this morning is this. Will you be ready? Because there is no better gift that you can open than the gift of God's promises, the promise of salvation. We have one in just a few minutes who is gonna uh, say yes to Jesus and be baptized this morning. And I'm sure that there's others in this room that have maybe been contemplating that. Just wanted you to know the water is warm this morning. We got extra bathing suits. If you've been putting it off, like why? Just step into the promise. Step into the promise and say yes to Jesus because once you say yes to him, then all the other promises are yours. Maybe this morning you need to take some doubt and some fear, some anxiety, and you need to lay it at the manger or the foot of the cross and remember that God's promises always come true. That if he's waiting, he's waiting because he's waiting for the right moment for you. And folks, he will come for us, and next time he comes, he's not coming as an infant child. He's not just coming as the lamb of God who will be sacrificed. The next time he's coming, he's coming back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the lion of Judah, the almighty one, and he will reign forever and ever. Are you with him this morning? If you're not this morning, I pray you will be. Jesus loved us so much that he sacrificed himself so that we could be with him. He came to be with us so he could give his life so that we could be with him forever. And all we have to do is trust him. So this morning as we take communion, I want you to take a moment and just reflect on all that Christ has done for you, all the promises that he has made, the promise of salvation that is yours because of what Christ did, and that God is always going to keep his promises. And so this morning, let's together take the bread that represents Jesus' broken body. And the cup that represents Jesus' shed blood, which with he forgave our sins. Like, let's take that together this morning. And if you're here this morning, and maybe you're here for the first time, like I said, maybe someone drug you, I don't know, but if you're here this morning and you need to know more about how you receive the promise of salvation and the promises of God in your life, then this morning, while we're singing, just following the baptism, um, come forward. I'm going to ask any of our, our staff, any of our uh, church elders and, uh, to come forward and just sit up here in the front. And if you want to talk to someone more about that, then I, I encourage you to come and talk to these folks because they're here to, to help guide you in that. Um, if you just want to pray this morning, if you've been struggling because, man, there's a promise you've been waiting for and you just need prayer and encouragement this morning, then come up to one of these guys or, or head back to the couch areas in the back where there's some time for prayer and some of our prayer team will be there to pray for you. Um, because this morning we want you to leave knowing this. God always keeps his promises. Amen? Well, let's pray and then celebrate a baptism. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the indescribable gift of Jesus. 
We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for your promises and that all of the promises that you have made are yes in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We trust you. And pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.